Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Of the Hokie football season, and you are listening to the Hokie Hangover podcast. I am Andrew Alex, a reporter and radio host here at ESPN Blacksburg. That's 93.1 in the New River Valley. My co-hosts from Columbus, Ohio, an ESPN Blacksburg contributor, a writer at Saturday Down South and the Tech Lunch Pail. We have Mike McDaniel. Mike, how are you doing this afternoon? I wish that I wasn't hailing from Columbus, Ohio this afternoon, Andrew, but, you know, we'll take what we can get. And here we go. Episode number two of this fine podcast. And from Virginia Beach, Virginia, the 757, a former writer at Tech Sideline, now blogging at the LeBlue Review or RickyLeBlue.com. It is Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, how are you? Uh, infinitely better because I'm at the beach and not in Columbus, Ohio. Yes, in- <laughs> we are recording it is i guess afternoon was a, st- a strong statement it's like 7 35 p.m here in beautiful downtown blacksburg virginia and you know i'm not feeling as good as i was when i got off work because the Hokies got some news brock hoffman whose ncaa saga has been well documented the saga has ended the ncaa says he will not be receiving immediate eligibility thoughts from either of you Go ahead, Mike, because my take is kind of nuanced, and I, I, feel like, I feel like you need to lead this off. Sure, I'll fire away. Um, unfortunately, I had an inkling this was probably going to be the case, right? Like, this is something that's dragged on, and you heard, you know, multiple, um, you know, multiple different rulings from the NCAA came down on other players of other programs. The Brock Hoffman saga just kind of went on and on and on all throughout the summer and well into this fall. Um, you know, all throughout fall camp, we were wondering what the status of Brock Hoffman was. Even yesterday's press conference, Justin Fuente still didn't have an answer uh, for the media questions surrounding Brock Hoffman. So it's been a long and arduous process. I think the one thing to keep in mind here, especially when considering the Brock Hoffman situation in particular, is the fact that, you know, he's a guy who was practicing with the ones and they were working him in and you know, hoping that he'd be a part of the starting offensive line this year. And, you know, we're not going to see that until 2020 now as he won't be playing this year and he'll ultimately redshirt for the Hokies. But, um, you know, I think the fan base and the coaching staff will kind of come to an understanding here as the season kicks off here this Saturday, you know, whether or not Brock Hoffman's presence or lack thereof, you know, how much they'll miss him, right? And what the continuity looks like on the offensive line will go a long way to determining just how big of a ruling this ultimately is uh, for Brock Hoffman not to be on the field this fall for the Hokies. But, you know, it's tough because the coaching staff was raving about him. He's going to be a big part of Virginia Tech's future, obviously. And it's just a bummer he won't be able to see the field this year. Um, And it's obviously unfortunate given his situation. But you know, all in all, it's it's just nice to have a resolution one way or another here um, and for the Hokies to kind of move forward with the guys that they have and just be aware of, you know, what's going to happen moving forward with the offensive line and knowing that Brock Hoffman certainly won't be a part of it this year. But I think just having the ruling, having clarity is the biggest thing here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, th- there's so many different angles to to this whole thing. Number one, obviously, we've seen a lot of players get transfer waivers that we probably shouldn't have seen get transfer waivers. Tate Martell comes to mind and Tate Martell's looking really good on the bench over there in Coral Gables. Um, the other part of this is that Brock Hoffman's waiver was originally denied because his, because Virginia tech was outside of the hundred mile radius, but it was by five miles. So we're not even talking like it's really that big of a deal. Then when they applied for the next waiver, now they're, according to Andy Bitter at The Athletic, who's really got the the insight on this, is that now the the supposed deal is, is that 
because uh, his mother was originally diagnosed with this in 2017, and he's just now trying to get this waiver two years later. That's supposedly the issue. So I, I'm not. I'm kind of on the fence as to where I sit on this. Uh, from on the one hand, we've seen so many guys get waivers for so little, so much less, and players in smaller sports can transfer first year and not have to sit out. Um, and then if you're in football or basketball, it seems like you have to have a, a, a bit of a reason. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Uh, but now you have a kid who transferred to a, a bigger school because he had a bigger opportunity because his mom is having the problems that she's having. And it almost felt like the NCAA was just looking for small things to deny this request. So I think I really have to still sit on it and think about where I'm at because, again, we just found out about an hour ago. But um, there are so many different aspects to this, and I think it's important for fans and um, and people that are always looking to criticize the NCA to kind of sit back and make sure that we look at this from all different angles because there are there are reasons why tech fans should be mad, but there are also reasons why the NCA actually has some some footing in this situation. Yeah, and, and I agree with you, Ricky. Not everything is as black and white as obviously tech fans kind of want to make it seem. However. I think what frustrates fans more than anything else is you look like a guy, you look, you look at a guy like Justin Fields, you look at a guy like Tate Martell, guys who, you know, because you can quote the fact that a coach left and, and say that when in reality, it seems pretty clear that the reason you transferred was because you're not in line for that starting job like you thought you were. And those guys get immediate eligibility. You know, Virginia Tech's not going to have the option to play Brock Hoffman in the slot this year, unfortunately, because he's not going to be able to play. So for Virginia Tech, you're going to have to rely on Zachariah Hoyt and you're going to have, that's his first name, right? Zachariah. Yes. <laughs> okay. just, just, just confirming I'm right there. But uh, the question now is it's a question of depth, right? And you lose an experienced guy in Brock Hoffman on that offensive line. And with the amount of youth on that second, on that second line for the Virginia tech offensive line, depth is at a premium. Add that to the fact that as much as Fuente wants to, you know, say otherwise, General consensus is that for the vast majority of fall camp, Hoffman was taking uh, reps with the ones. Granted, Fuente is not stupid. He obviously knew that this might not go in their favor, and Hoyt's not going to be a fish out of water playing with that first team. But for Tech fans, most of which, who I think that after the appeal process, after Jay Billis gets behind you, it almost seemed as if the NCAA was just poised to succumb to public pressure. But here we are the Tuesday before the first game of the season, and we learned that that's ultimately not the case. But speaking of the depth chart, Virginia Tech releases its two deep uh, for the first time, the first official, unofficial two deep of the 2019 regular season. Was there anything that surprised you, Mike, about the way that that two deep stepped out? So we talked about this on the first podcast that we had, and, and Ricky, you touched on it specifically. Um, the fact that Hendon Hooker, is officially the backup quarterback, right? Um, I think that it was a surprise that, you know, he was able to jump Quincy Patterson. And Quincy Patterson obviously had uh, the fan base behind him, just given the fact that he was a highly touted recruit and the quarterback situation was murky last year after the Josh Jackson injury. And nobody really knew what to expect out of Ryan Willis. And I think a lot of the fan base in particular was expecting to see Quincy Patterson just because he was a top recruit for the Hokies. But I think we kind of got a wake-up call understanding that, hey, if there's an injury to Ryan Willis, it's going to be Hendon Hooker as the quarterback, not Quincy Patterson, right? And Quincy Patterson, who – and I always bring this up in regards to Patterson because I think it's important. He was a high-end three-star quarterback initially. Uh, he was selected for the Elite 11 camp. He, play, he performed very well there. He was sort of a late bloomer as a recruit insofar as he ultimately got moved up and became a four-star recruit after that Elite 11 selection and uh, was a guy who um, was raw initially as a high school talent. And you're wondering now is if his transition to the college game is somewhat similar to the fact that you know, in high school, he was having that adjustment period, right, where he was really coming into his own as a top recruit. And I think that patience is warranted here with Quincy Patterson. I do think he has a future with the program. I think he will have an opportunity uh, in the coming years, but I think he needs to be fully ready. And 
I think the one takeaway I have from last year when Quincy Patterson was in the game for Virginia Tech is that the coaching staff really was not all that comfortable with him throwing the football. Uh, he was really only in the game for running situations. Um, you know, even when he replaced Ryan Willis, when Ryan Willis, you know, was a little bit banged up in some of the some of the games, the Notre Dame game comes to mind in particular when Willis had to exit the game briefly. You know, the package surrounding Quincy Patterson was that of just a running game, right? He was going straight ahead. It was read off. It was things of that nature. They were not comfortable with him throwing the football, and they must still not be all that comfortable with him being a thrower of the ball at this point, considering the fact that he was unable to beat out Hendon Hooker. But on the flip side, you look at Hendon Hooker, and he's a guy who has gotten rave reviews out of camp and all throughout spring ball. Um, you know, once he kind of returned to the fold for the Hokies on a full-time basis after, you know, taking a look at the transfer portal. I think it's clear that Hendon Hooker's taken a step forward as well, which is good for the Hokies. So I think there's depth there. Um, it's just whether or not Quincy Patterson has a future with the Hokies. And that's that's the question that's being asked by a lot of outlets this week. And I think it's a fair a fair question, but also I think patience is warranted with this situation. So that, that was the thing that stood out to me the most, um, that the fact that he's going to be the one backing up Ryan Willis, not Quincy Patterson. Yeah, Mike, and I completely agree. And like I just said, with Tech fans, sometimes it comes down to managing expectations. Yes, Quincy Patterson was one of the most hyped-up Tech quarterback recruits since, I guess, since Dwayne Lawson, right? But uh, Oh, man, Dwayne Lawson, that's a, that's a blast from the past. Yeah, no, no kidding. But like I said last episode, guys like Trevor Lawrence and Jake Fromm threw more passes in their senior year of high school than Quincy Patterson did in his entire high school career. Guys like that were much more prepared to step right in into a college system in a Power 5 conference and succeed. With Quincy, it's going to take some time. So the question being is, can Quincy figure it out? Can he learn the complexities of the offense? And I believe he can, but it's going to be a matter of patience for the coaches, patience for the fans, and ultimately patience for Quincy. Because there are some guys that, quite frankly, would just jump right into the portal. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not too worried about this. I think Quincy's got a good head on his shoulders. Uh, Quincy's always kind of attacked things from a mature, nuanced perspective. He's never been one to have a rash judgment or anything like that. Uh, and and the, really the nice thing is, is that after this season, he's still going to have three years of eligibility. Redshirting last year, he'll use this year as, as his actual freshman season. So he's going to be a redshirt sophomore next year. He has three years left uh, in this program. So. I'm not expecting Quincy to enter the portal at all. I think Quincy's going to be just fine. And I'm actually, I'm expecting a really big quarterback competition next year between Braxton Burmeister, Hendon Hooker, and Quincy Patterson. I think any one of the three would be a decent option for the Hokies, but obviously there will probably be some fans that'll be rooting for, for Quincy. Uh, Fellas, did anything surprise, I'll surprise you on the offensive side of the ball with the depth chart. I have one that I kind of kind of caught me off guard. We've heard a lot about the freshman receivers, yet uh, there was one true freshman receiver in the two deep, uh, and that's Tavion Robinson in the slot. And I think we all kind of expected that, but we've heard a lot about uh, Jaden Payute and um, Elijah Bowick and guys like that, and they're just not there. So maybe those receivers aren't really progressing as much as we thought. Uh, or maybe the coaches are trying to hold them back and make sure that they're eligible down the road. But I was kind of expecting to see one more in there in that group, and we just didn't see it. Yeah, for me, the thing that it didn't totally surprise me, but coaches had been raving about the possible, even pro potential, of redshirt freshman tackle Luke Tenuta. So much so that many speculated that they'd move the former, you know, the guy who was the right tackle last year, that Silas Dancy, inside and possibly start Tenuta at at the right tackle that is not the case Tanuda is now listed as the backup TJ Jackson will be manning that right guard position he'll be backed up by the freshman Doug Nestor from Huntington West Virginia what do you guys think about this offensive line overall and the experience that the Hokies bring back on the front five yeah um the the one thing I, w- I will mention and you know you brought up TJ Jackson I think it speaks to his development right and Justin Fuentes raved about him uh, in fall camp. And but the one thing that stood out to me that he mentioned the other day is that it's really become important to him to become a starter and become a really, really productive player for the Hokies on the offensive line. I think, you know, TJ Jackson's a guy who saw the opportunity heading into this year and saw that, um, saw the potential uh, to, to really take that position. And 
uh, make something of it. And I think the fact that he was able to beat out Luke Tenuta, who, Andrew, as you mentioned, he was a guy that the coaching staff was high on uh, this summer and a guy who's been, um, you know, talked about as a potential NFL talent at guard. And the fact that TJ Jackson was able to, you know, take that position by the horns, I think really says a lot about his, um, his development, his potential here uh, with a couple of years left of eligibility. In terms of the running back position, no surprise. It looks like we are going to a running back by committee situation. Once again, the first running back is listed as Deshaun McLeese or Jalen Huston with Keyshawn King, as the, I guess, rotational third back. Do you guys have any confidence that any of these three will emerge as the number one guy a couple games into the season? No, no, I don't. Uh, the, the three of them all kind of have their their stick. We haven't really figured out what Keyshawn Kings is yet, but we know that Deshaun is a, a bit more of, a, of an elusive guy. Uh, he doesn't have uh, top-end speed, but he's a guy that can be shifty and can find a way to, to break their stretch runs on the edge. And, and find a gap. And we know Jalen Holston's the exact opposite um, guy who definitely doesn't have the top end speed, but doesn't have that shiftiness. Uh, but he does have that bruising ability at that, at that weight and size. Uh, he's someone that you can obviously put it up between the tackles a bit more. Uh, but yeah, I'm not really expecting any of these, any of this group to, to really break out this year. Uh, Tech's really just going to be hoping to get by at this position is my guess. Speaking of positions that they may have to just get by on, let's move to the defensive line. One of the bigger questions was who will be the defensive end opposite Emmanuel Belmar, who seemed pretty locked in. They end up going with Taiwan Garbit, the redshirt sophomore out of Fredericksburg at that right or that left defensive end. Uh, Gerard Hewitt, as expected, will be the nose tackle. Deshaun Crawford emerges as the other defensive tackle. Um, Thoughts, guys? Yeah, uh, the one thing that stood out to me, and and you mentioned Hewitt at nose tackle, there are two true freshmen um, backing him up, and they are going to play um, Norrell Pollard and Mario Kendricks, and we thought that that might be the case, that they would play a bit. Uh, but the fact that you're seeing a number of freshmen on the two and three deep on the defensive line is – um, on one hand, encouraging because the coaches think they're ready. On the other hand, we know it's by necessity and a little bit frightening, especially if there's an injury to a guy like Hewitt. Hewitt, you know, was banged up last year with a knee injury, uh, wasn't 100% down the stretch. And, you know, you worry because Hewitt's one of those guys who's supposed to be, you know, one of the top guys on that defensive line this year and a guy that the Hokies are going to be relying upon heavily in the front seven. Um, the, the fact that, you know, he's got two true freshmen backing him up is a little bit concerning from a depth perspective. Um, you mentioned Taiwan Garbutt as well. I'm pretty comfortable with him. He was a four-star recruit coming out of high school, a guy who had some, had some moments and flashed a bit for the Hokies last year. Uh, I think Garbutt in a full-time role will, uh, will emerge and become a very important player for this Hokies defensive line for better or worse. But I think that that's a, a strong decision by the coaching staff and one, again, that's kind of out of necessity. Um, having him play as well. Um, and then Emmanuel Belmar. Um, Emmanuel Belmar, I think, out of all the guys I just mentioned, Emmanuel Belmar is probably the most important player on the defensive line because I think, you know, the coaching staff's really expecting a lot out of him this year. Um, and, you know, he's a guy who's been in the program a few years now, and he played well last year in stints as well. And uh, I think in more of a full-time role, uh, this year, I, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he progresses. But the weakness of the defense from a depth perspective, at least from a proven depth perspective, is certainly on the defensive line. I think we saw that on this initial depth chart. I'm actually excited to see Taiwan Garbett play. I think he's the most talented player on that defensive line and tackle. doesn't matter. Uh, he's got the most twitch. He's got the most, the most athleticism. Uh, we really saw his ability last year. And with another year under his belt, I think in a full-time role, I think he's going to be actually pretty good. The backers, uh, middle linebacker will be Ray Jard Aspie. He'll be backed up by Keyshawn Artis or Dylan Rivers. The outside linebacker, Dax Hollyfield, no surprise there. A little bit of surprise, his immediate backup, Alan Tisdale, a guy who, a retro freshman who apparently impressed a lot during camp. What do you guys think of this linebacker crew going into, uh, I guess, their second year playing next to each other? Yeah, yeah, I think, um, you know, the linebacker position is one. I think that's the strength of the defense for the Hokies, I think, especially when considering the fact that we're trying to piece together a secondary at this point, right? Um, you know, Caleb Farley on one side, and, you know, you're trying to find a replacement for Bryce Watts, and, 
you know, it looks like that they found that. Um, and, you know, Jermaine Waller, Jovan Quillen, who both I think will play, I think it's pretty clear based on Justin Fuente's press conference yesterday when Norm Wood was kind of pressing him on that factor. But as far as the linebackers are concerned, my one, my one takeaway, um, at least, you know, when thinking back to following some of these recruiting classes of the past, you know, obviously I'm, I'm well aware that Rayshard Ashby was going to be the guy there. Um, at middle linebacker, but one guy who I thought was going to emerge and play a pretty big role when he first got on campus was Dylan Rivers, and the fact that he's not even necessarily in the two deep now at middle linebacker is pretty surprising to me, uh, just considering where he was when he first got on campus at Virginia Tech to where he is now. Um, that that's a bit of a surprise to me when thinking back just to a few years ago. But I think overall this linebacker group is going to be pretty strong for the Hokies. What do you think, Ricky? Yeah, they, they have depth. They have some athleticism. They have some talent. Um, but once you get beyond Rayshard Ashby and Dax Hollyfield, you don't have the game experience there, uh, even if you do have some talent there. So th- th- there are serious questions still about the depth, and that's because Justin Fuente is still in the early parts of of really rebuilding this program. But um, I, I think that that's definitely going to be the strength of the defense uh, as long as they stay healthy. We all know what Dax can bring to the table. He dropped some weight this year. He's going to be a bit better in coverage. And Rayshard Asprey is kind of your thumper in the middle. And I, I think with the two of them, I think that's a really good group. And really the only surprise on the defensive side of the ball for me was that I, some people have told me that they saw this coming, but Shamari Connor kind of moving into that whip spot as the starter kind of removing Khalil Ladler there, Khalil was really Tech's kind of most versatile, experienced defensive back, uh, maybe outside of Reggie Floyd, but he's definitely more versatile than Reggie. Uh, and Khalil's not even going to be starting, and I think that that's kind of surprising. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Jamari Connor brings a certain type of athleticism. You remember, uh, and Chris Coleman brought this up on our show today, it was Against Boston College last year, they actually had to move Diablo into that rover position. Apparently, they like what they have in Shamari Connor. So I'll be interested to see how this defensive back group uh, shapes out for the first game. Reggie Floyd, obviously the senior leader, granted the number one, which apparently now means that he is the alpha male as voted by the team. Uh, You know, I was kind of hoping it would be Oscar Bradburn, our starting punter, but what have you? No, I mean, you, you can't vote a punter as your alpha male. I don't care how cool your punter is. I don't care if it's Pat McAfee. It's Australian pride, can't Ricky. do it. I don't care. <laughs> I absolutely don't care. Look, and I've been someone who's been very critical of Reggie throughout his career because I think there were some really serious holes in his game that a lot of people didn't want to talk about. But uh, Reggie has definitely grown into kind of the mature guy. Uh, he's definitely taken ownership of the team, and I think he deserves it. I really do. Brian Johnson will be kicking, not a huge surprise, especially given that Jordan Stout transferred to Penn State. Uh, So now, Ricky, you wanted to talk about some changes or some losses on the football operations side of things. Let's hear about it. Yeah, I I think that this is really interesting. And I I don't think that either of these people left on bad terms, but it's definitely something that Tech is going to have to to fill in an organizational uh, perspective. Danielle Bartlestein, who's been uh, team ops, uh, she is now doing the same exact thing for the college football playoff, which is quite a, a promotion. Uh, so congratulations to Danielle. She was always really nice when I got to work with her. Uh, and then Thomas Gary, who unofficially was really their director of recruiting. Uh, I think his his official title was team personnel director or something along those lines. But Thomas Gary was really their lead guy when it came to reaching out to these kids, getting in touch with them. Uh, recruiting them from a social media perspective. He filled such a large role uh, for this team and for this coaching staff. And for him to leave at such an odd juncture definitely is going to present a challenge because now Justin Fuente has to fill that big role while also preparing for the start of the season. And that's something that's definitely not going to be easy. And speaking of the start of the season, let's talk about game number one and our first opponent the Boston College Eagles. To recap you folks, if you don't know how Boston College did last year, they got off to a pretty hot start, a 7-2 record, before dropping their final three games of the season to Clemson, Florida State, and Syracuse. Their bowl game, to the chagrin of anyone who traveled there, was canceled and never rescheduled. So the last time that Boston College... How much does that suck? Real quick, hold on. How much does that suck? 
you pay all this money to go to a bowl game and you can't even I watch it. I mean, yeah, I, I would be absolutely pissed. I mean, you figure hotel prices are definitely going to be through the roof for something like that. And then you got to, I mean, if you're a Boston College fan, you're flying to almost anywhere because you're all the way up in the corner and nobody cares about you. And then you have to go to some weird bowl location and then there's severe weather and you can't even watch it. Uh, all I'll say is that the people who run these bowls do not care. They force the school. To- <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. They really don't care about your location. Sell those tickets and then it's up to the school to listen to the complaints of the angry people waiting in the dark yes. to go home the next yes, day. Yes, it is. But uh, Steve Adazio has been ridiculously consistent. I think he's been like, how many years in a row has he been seven and five? Like three or four or something like that. Not only has he been stuck at seven and five, but he got an extension after this past season, which is is just ridiculous. I I don't understand how you can do that, but go ahead, Eagles, you do you. The ACC media predicted them to be the number five finisher in the Atlantic, so that's not too hot. Athlon Sports predicts them to go six and six overall, three and five in the ACC, number six in the Atlantic. But they do bring back at least one incredibly dynamic playmaker on offense. That is A.J. Dillon. Dillon, his freshman year, rushed for 1,500 yards and 14 touchdowns, a little more than 1,500 yards. He rushed for just over 1,000 yards last year and 10 touchdowns. Granted, he was banged up at the end of the season and was slowing down a little bit. What do you guys have to say, if anything, about A.J. Dillon and what he brings to this Boston College offense? I mean, he's a stud, right? They're obviously going to lean on him. He's their entire offense. The one thing I will say is that their offensive line loses a lot of talent off of last year's team. I think that's relatively significant when considering a matchup against a defensive line in Virginia Tech that we don't really know too much about, um, especially once you once you get uh, away from the starting uh, the starting defensive line in the front four. Um, the, the one thing I will say, too, about Boston College is, you know, with Anthony Brown, they have an experienced quarterback, but a guy, you know, who's not that great of a passer. I mean, his best games have been against the worst opponents on his schedule, so take that as you will. With all that being said, the Virginia Tech secondary wasn't all that good last year, right? So if, you know, they do have to get away from the running game with A.J. Dillon, perhaps it's not the worst thing in the world for Boston College and Anthony Brown. Who's to say? Um, We'll find out. It's the opener, so it's really just a coin flip at this point. But I think if you're a Virginia Tech fan, you look at it from the perspective of, you know, hoping that the defensive uh, secondary in particular has improved. Um, You know, Justin Fuente historically has been very good in openers. Um, You know, the Hoagies have played well under him in the first game of the season, Um, obviously beating West Virginia, um, the game against Liberty where, you know, before the Tennessee game, uh, the Hokies had a really strong showing in his first game in Blacksburg. You know, Virginia Tech, obviously, a year ago going to Tallahassee. So, you know, I have confidence that, you know, the team and and the coaching staff is ready for this opportunity. It's a huge ACC game right off the bat, which concerns me. But, you know, I think shutting down down a guy like A.J. Dillon has been at the forefront of the entire offseason. So, you know, if they go into this game as prepared as I expect them to be, I think they should have a relatively strong amount of success against A.J. Dillon in this one, especially when considering the offensive line. For for Tech fans that don't know who A.J. Dillon is, just think Andre Williams, and that's really all you need to know. Uh, he's that good. Uh, he maybe even have a better pro career. We don't know yet. But um, he, even though he's not really versatile out of the backfield, he doesn't need to be. He's just that good between the tackles. Uh, in, in terms of Anthony Brown, even though he's got some experience, none of it's very good, right? I mean, anytime he's played any competition, like you mentioned, it hasn't been all that great. He's been wildly inconsistent, and he got exposed, I think, again at the end of last season, which is why one of the reasons why Boston College really struggled last season and finished seven and five. So, as you mentioned, that the four offensive line starters, you even if you have guys that you like behind them, uh, that, that really doesn't help. And I know they have in all, uh, or they're losing uh, all ACC tight end Tommy Sweeney, and I know they returned their leading wideout, but. There's a lot of questions on that offense outside of AJ Dillon, and if he if you can't get him working, you don't really have anything else to fall back on. Yeah, and that top wideout you're saying is Kobe White, who only had 526 yards and three touchdowns last year. To put that in perspective, like three Virginia Tech receivers had over 500 yards last year. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even yeah, they, they don't have a ton of returning talent, and uh, 
really you're not giving it to opposing coordinators another thing to worry about. All they have to worry about is A.J. Dillon, and if you can slow him down even a little bit, you don't have anything else to fall back on. So I think Boston College is going to be hard-pressed to score points this year. I know that they generally historically have a decent defense, but they're going to be in trouble, I think, this year offensively. I mean, the offensive line I still think should be somewhat solid up front. You do lose your you do lose your uh, first round of the 14th pick overall in the NFL draft, Lindstrom. He was a guard, but the right tackle, right guard, that's some experience right there. Center through left tackle, a little bit more of a question mark. As speaking to Brown, yeah, I basically agree with you guys. When the rubber meets the road, he doesn't play particularly well against good competition. He... I mean, in pretty much every statistical measure that you can look at, he was a bottom three starting quarterback in the ACC last year, and he doesn't have the weapons on the outside to really back that up. So barring some extreme, you know, extreme development by second string wide receivers and a decently experienced tight end group, yeah, I I don't see this Boston College offense being too prolific. On the other side... I don't know much about the Boston College defense. They only return three starters. What do you think this team's going to look like defensively? I mean, defensively, you expect a Steve Adazio unit to be strong and solid, right, at all three levels. And, um, you know, guys, I I do an ACC football podcast. I I talked to somebody who covers Boston College. And, you know, the one thing that stood out to me when I spoke with him is that he mentioned the fact that this is a Boston College roster this year that, may need to be carried by the offense. And if we know anything about Steve Adazio coached offenses at Boston (laughs) College, we know that that is probably not a good sign, right? Uh, Steve Adazio, obviously, former offensive coordinator at Florida when Tim Tebow was there. They had a lot of great offenses there, you know, before – you know, um, before he eventually moved on to Temple and then ultimately to Boston College. And ever since Steve Adazio has been the head coach at Boston College, they've been one of the worst offenses in the conference. So how good is BC going to be? And is it contingent on their offense? I mean, that's a scary thought, right? So anytime you consider the BC offense having to really carry this roster, it's it's a scary thought. So I'm not sure how much confidence there really is in that defense, but that de- those defenses at Boston College have overall been pretty well coached. Um, you know, we just talked about how bad the offenses have been. The defense has been quite the opposite. They've had some of the best defenses in college football some years. Um, and other years, at the very least, they've been, you know, at worst, third or fourth best defense in the ACC at their worst. So I think the Boston College defense will ultimately be fine. I'm just not sure how good it'll be in this opener. The crazy part about their defense is that they just replaced coordinators. They demoted Jim Reed back to an assistant coach, and they promoted one of the other assistants. So, I mean, that's a that's a crazy thought that the fact that their defense wasn't really all that bad last year, and yet the coordinator got the axe. So. Yeah, I mean, it would be. I'd be surprised to see the Eagles' defense really not all that good. But if if you have a beat writer telling you that the team needs to be carried by the offense, then you really need to worry if you're a Boston College fan. Yeah, I mean, guys, does this not sound familiar? Last year, I mean, Boston College they lose two starters to the NFL. They only bring back three starters overall. Last year, they had eight guys, eight seniors, starting on defense against Tech. This, along with two juniors, by the way, this year they're projected to only have three starters. That sounds a whole, whole lot like Virginia Tech last year coming off of losing all those guys to the NFL and graduation and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, for for BC, the defense carrying this team seems like a lot to ask for, right? Especially when your offense is predicated on A.J. Dillon and the run game. So... Yeah, a lot of questions for BC, and like Ricky said, if you have a beat writer for the team heavily concerned, usually that is a pretty good indicator of what is coming. So guys, let's do keys to the game here for Virginia Tech. What does Virginia Tech have to do to beat Boston College? Slow down A.J. Dillon. End. (laughs) Keen. That's it. That's all they have to do. There are no other keys to the game. You don't even have to worry about scoring points. You don't have to worry about running the football. You don't have to worry about special teams issues. It doesn't matter. If you slow down A.J. Dillon, Boston College is going to score four points. Obviously, that's a joke. 
and then they're going to lose. That, that, that's how this is. I think go. that's the only key to the game. I mean, I'm with you. Um, there, and it's, <laughs> I, I hate to oversimplify it, right? But there are more paths, in my opinion, yeah. there are more paths to victory for Virginia Tech offensively than there are for Boston College, right? Boston College, if A.J. Dillon doesn't get going, they're going to have a really hard time scoring points. And forget even scoring points, they're going to have a hard time moving the football, right? If Virginia Tech's front seven can shut down A.J. Dillon, if they can um, overcome an offensive line that we don't really know a whole lot about on one entire side, right? If the Virginia Tech defensive line can make their presence felt um, early and often in this football game, if the linebackers can fill how we expect them to and slow down A.J. Dillon, game tackling is going to be crucial because A.J. Dillon runs through arm tackles, so making sure you get multiple hats on the, on the football, uh, I think that's going to be key in this one. But it's the key to the entire game, right? Slowing down A.J. Dillon. I, th- I really do think it is that simple because I just don't see how Boston College scores enough points to compete against Virginia Tech in this football game. Otherwise, I, I like the Hokies offense going into the year anyway. I think they'll score enough points against BC here if the Hokies are able to slow down A.J. Dillon. But if they don't slow down A.J. Dillon and you give Anthony Brown some opportunities in the passing game, I, I think he's much more efficient as a play-action passer, obviously, just like any quarterback would. Uh, if the running back gets going. And Anthony Brown is talented enough to hit on some throws if you give him some opportunities and some clear passing lanes. So the key to the entire game is stopping A.J. Dillon. It's as simple as that. Yeah, and obviously you guys are 100% right. But for the sake of changing it up, I'm going to say you're an experienced team this year. you got to run a tight ship. The way that I think that on paper Virginia Tech is the better team right now, though Boston College might have the best player. But – for this offensive line, most of which are returning starters, for these wide receivers, for Ryan Willis, all these guys with a year of experience under their belt, don't beat yourself. Don't put the ball on the ground. You know, miscommunications on routes, stuff like that. Pre-snap penalties like we saw with Miami, and we'll get to that in a minute. That's the kind of stuff that can make an inexperienced, inferior football team beat a superior football team. Let Boston College make those, those mistakes, and you can basically just use your experience to your advantage. You are familiar to this stage. And, you know, shut the haters up because you've been hated on all summer long. You know, article after article, pundit after pundit saying Virginia Tech's going under. Go out and make a statement, including Ricky LeBlue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been one of the most vocal, I guess, uh, pessimists for this team until recently when I've kind of had a, a bit of a change in feeling because I, I feel like this team is actually coming together a bit. But, yeah, I mean, Tech has a ton of questions. And they have every every motive to shut people like me up. All these people that are questioning the depth on the defensive line, all these people that saw Caleb Farley get absolutely burned last year, it's time for them to prove people like me wrong and show that people like me really have no idea what I'm talking about, which we already <laughs> know anyway, but they need to show that on the football field. All right, boys, let's get excited. This is our first over-under segment of the season. So first... We will set it at 250. We're under. You know, I, I've kind of wrestled with this because first we were going to do 300, right? And then I told you all y'all were crazy. Uh, so now we're going to go with 250. I'm going to go with over uh, just barely. Uh, I think Willis will probably finish with something like 260 or something along those lines. Uh, I think he'll make a, a couple big throws. Um, probably Trey Turner will be one of the recipients of those. And he'll probably finish with something around 250 to 260. So I'm going to go with an over on this one. Hopefully we're not keeping track because if anyone has followed me in the past, my my track record with over-unders is pitiful. Uh, so try not to make me look too bad. I'm going to go over as well. Um, I, I do think it'll be close. Um, I, I think 260 in that 260, 265 range sounds about right, honestly. Um it's one of those things where I, I think that Virginia Tech will be able to run the ball well enough where, you know, Ryan Willis won't necessarily have to put the ball in the air 40 times for them to score. Um, if he's thrown the football 40 times, I think he'll finish with well over four, uh, 300 yards passing. Um, it's just one of those deals where I think Virginia Tech will be able to establish enough on the ground that they won't necessarily have to rely on Ryan Willis as heavily as they may against some better opponents defensively the rest of the season. So I'm going to go slightly over. Um, but I think it'll be a pretty well-balanced offensive attack on Saturday. Uh, Andrew Alex says, over. Inexperienced defensively for the corners for Boston College. I watched a lot of inexperienced corners play last year. Ryan Willis has got a cannon. The wide receivers are ready. We're going over. All right, number two. 
110 rushing yards for A.J. Dillon, Ricky LeBlue, over or under? This is another really good number. I think I think y'all picked a good one for this. Um, I, I, I'm going to go with over. Uh, I, I think it'll be, again, a little bit slightly over, maybe 120, 125. I don't think he's going to rush for 160 or 170. I don't think that that's going to happen. But I can see him getting to uh, over the 110 mark. I can too. I, yeah, I can too. Um, and, and the reason why I'm going to go over here is because Boston College really needs him to go over 110 yards to be anywhere near competitive in this football game. Um, yeah, I mean, he might rush it like 45 times, but right. he'll get over the 110 mark. Right. Yeah, it, exactly. Um, and, and that's the whole that's the whole thing, right? Like how efficient he is with the runs that he has is really the determining factor in the football game. Um, his level of efficiency running the football. It's not necessarily the total yards at the end of the day. It's how efficient he is running the football. I mean, if he has 110 yards on, you know, 12 carries, Virginia Tech's in a lot of trouble. But if it takes him 25 or 30 carries to to eclipse the 150-yard mark, for example, I think Virginia Tech's going to be in really good shape. You know, even if A.J. Dillon does run for 150 or 160 yards, like he's going to have to carry the ball 30 to 35 times. And if that's the case, then Virginia Tech's going to be in good shape, I think. So the level of efficiency is what I would note here in the overall matchup as far as the total yards is concerned. I do think A.J. Dillon goes over because I don't think Boston College is even nearly competitive enough if not. You know what? I'll be optimistic. I'll take the under. All right. Now, here's our third. Virginia Tech as a team. 110 rushing yards. Ricky Blue, over or under? <laughs> uh... Man, uh, I'm gonna go under, um, just because I I I have a feeling Boston College's front seven is gonna be better than I think a lot of us think it is, even though they are replacing two guys to the NFL. Um, the Boston College's front is usually good; they usually have good guys on the edge. I think that they're gonna be able to contain Virginia Tech. I still I I don't have a reason to have any confidence right now in Jalen Holston or Deshaun McLeese. I haven't seen anything out of Keyshawn King yet because he hasn't made his debut. So I'm going to go with under. It'll probably be about 100 or so, but I don't think they're going to eclipse 110. Mr. McDaniel? I'm going to go over um, slightly. Like, I don't think, you know, I don't think they'll be way over. I, Ricky, like you, I'm a little bit pessimistic about the running game as well. Um, but with that being said, I do think they'll be able to uh, get over 110. That's a really tough number, though, and um, it, it really just, you know, we talked about Ryan Wilson's passing yards, right, and I, I kind of mentioned how it's kind of predicated on how well Virginia Tech runs the football. Um, I think he stays under 300 yards because I think the offense gets enough going on the ground, so I'm, I'm going to go over just because of that other answer I gave, um, but I think it'll be close. All righty, and I will go over as well in my confidence of Ryan Wilson's passing yards. Virginia Tech will get ahead and run the ball, and Ryan Willis will run the ball too. So we'll go over there. All right, boys, now we got over-under Virginia Tech interceptions. Now we're talking about, like, interceptions made by the defensive backs of Virginia Tech. We're not talking about Ryan Willis here. Yeah. One and a half is the line. Ricky LeBlue, over or under? Uh, Over. Uh, I think we saw what Virginia Tech did to DeAndre Francois uh, last time out. Um, in terms of just kind of making Florida State look really confused. Bud Foster is really good in these types of atmospheres in terms of game planning and coming up with new stuff for everyone. So I think I think they're going to be probably right at two. Uh, I, I could see him getting to three because we all know Anthony Brown loves him some turnovers. But I, I think Tech has a chance to, to, to get to over for sure. Mike? Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on how this game's going, right? Like, if Virginia Tech jumps out to a lead and they're shutting down the run, I mean, there might be a situation now where Anthony Brown all of a sudden needs to be the hero and needs to throw the ball more than Boston College would like him to. And I think if that's the case, you got to like your chances if you're the Virginia Tech defense. He's too inconsistent to not throw it to you a couple times, right? Um, I think Virginia Tech will be able to slow down A.J. Dillon enough to have Anthony Brown throw the ball more than maybe he'd like or maybe the coaching staff would like. And because of that, I think Virginia Tech will eclipse the one-and-a-half turnover mark, and I do, I do think they get to two, maybe even three. I think for it to be three, though, Ricky, I, I do think Virginia Tech would have to be up a couple scores and they'd have to be throwing the football a lot. 
But I can certainly see, too, in, in a scenario where it's still a competitive game and Anthony Brown just happens to turn it over a couple of times. Yeah, for sure. I am torn on this one, actually, because it really all depends, right, on how Virginia Tech does out the gate. Like we talked about with 110 rushing yards for Tech, that requires Tech to come out the gate hot. If I'm going to say Tech's going to get 110 rushing yards, then I will go with the continuity. I guess they'll get two interceptions. All right, here's one, boys. Over under three and a half pre-snap penalties by Virginia Tech on offense. Yeah, and we did this at my request because Miami was absolutely horrendous. I I hope that all the listeners watched that game, and it it actually just looked very, very pitiful. It looked like I was coaching the team. Uh, I I think I'm going to go with under. I think Virginia Tech is going to be a bit more crisp than that, Uh, even if Boston College can kind of contain them. Uh, I still think Virginia Tech will be crisp enough. They have an experienced quarterback now. Uh, I think Justin Fuente is finally going to have a guy, as long as he doesn't get hurt, that'll be starting for an entire second season. That is huge. Willis has been in this program for a while now. Uh, Most of the starters on the offensive line have legitimate playing time. I I think they'll be able to keep it under that. The last thing that you said, Ricky, is what sticks out to me. They have experience on the offensive line, an experienced quarterback, and I think more importantly, they have an experienced offensive staff and guys who have been in the system um, from a playing perspective and a coaching perspective. I do, I do think that matters, right? And even though it's the first game and you expect, you know, somewhat sloppy play just because there hasn't been a football game, you know, played in quite some time, I do think they stay under three and a half uh, pre-snap penalties. Um, Miami, I think it was kind of a perfect storm. You have Manny Diaz, who's not used to being in that kind of overlord role, right, as a head coach where, you know, he's not in, you know, he's got to be more of a guy who's facilitating from a higher level rather than, you know, being down into details just with the defensive players, right? Um, And I I think you really saw his game management issues from a coaching perspective. And I think it'll improve, certainly, because I think Manny Diaz will be fine at Miami. But um, you saw those issues in game one, plus the fact they had a redshirt freshman starter. You know, Virginia Tech's got an experienced staff, an experienced head coach, and an experienced quarterback in his third year in the system now, um, and a guy who's a returning starter at that position um, just based off of the second half of last year. And you got an offensive line that's pretty experienced as well. So I'm going to stick with the under here. All right, and I will take the under as well. They damn sure better not get four pre-snap penalties. <laughs> Yeah, if they do, then it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough loss. So did we all take the under there? I stopped keeping track. Yes, yes, I think we all took the under. Yep. Now watch, they're gonna have like six. Because <laughs> we all took the under. So now here is our final segment. We will pick on the spread, and this is the spread as of Tuesday evening, so bear with us if it changes. But first, Clemson. In the debut of the ACC Network's coverage, we'll take on Georgia Tech at home. The defending national champions are minus 36 and a half. Who you got, Ricky? Uh, I actually am going to take Clemson uh, because I think Georgia Tech is going to look absolutely awful, uh, especially for the first few weeks of the season. Uh, remember, they're they're basically fitting square pegs into round holes at this point. They have guys that do not belong in the offense they're trying to run because all the guys that are at Georgia Tech are trying to run the options. So uh, I think Clemson is probably going to run them over. We all know how good Clemson is. Uh, they're bringing back way too much talent. I think they're going to put Georgia Tech in the ground. Man, don't fact check me against the picks I just made on my uh, week one preview podcast for, for the ACC. <laughs> I had. I, oh, hoping, we are fact checking you. Yeah, I I, uh, I just recorded that podcast last night. Now I'm concerned that I'm not going to be giving the same picks consistently here. Uh, <laughs> that's something we'll have to uh, we'll have to hone in throughout the year here. Um, yeah, I last night I do know this pick though. Last night I I did pick Clemson to cover. Um, First of all, as, as a better, I'm not touching this game. That's a massive spread. And Georgia Tech is yeah. a yeah, completely unknown quantity. Like, we're not expecting them to be all that good, right? Um, especially not in game one. But, yeah, I'm not touching this line. I do think Clemson finds a way to cover, though, because I'm just not sure what Georgia Tech's going to be on the offensive side of the ball. I really worry about them. Um, yeah, I'll take Clemson to cover. I think Georgia Tech going to be bad. Kind of, you know, tough time switching your offensive system, you know? Uh, all right. Now we go to the sweetheart of Mike McDaniel, the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. They will host on Friday, August 30th, the Utah State Aggies, a, a decent mid-major program. 
uh, Vegas has Wake Forest minus three and a half. Ricky LeBlue, do they cover or not? I'm coming from Mike's throat here. I'm gonna take uh, Utah State against the spread just because I don't I don't get the love I don't get the love for Dave Clawson. Uh, yeah, I mean it, it'll probably look Wake Forest is a a pretty good team, but Greg Dorch is not walking back through the door anytime soon. Uh, I, I really don't think that they're gonna be all that good this year. Uh, I'm gonna take Utah State because why not? Damn man, how you gonna do me like that? <laughs> I mean, like. I think we'll just write you in for Wake Forest. <laughs> yeah, write me in for the Wake Forest. The Steam and Deeks, baby. The Steam and Deeks. Uh, the what? Oh, don't even. Uh-uh. If, look, we just started this thing. Don't make Andrew and I derail the entire project because of your infatuation with, with the Steam and Deeks. I, I, I'm not here for it. Mike, Mike might leave us and make a Wake Forest podcast or something. <laughs> <laughs> if it comes to that, I think we're all in trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. NC State minus 17. They host the East Carolina Pirates, our old rival who will now never play again. What you think? Oh, NC State's going to cover that. Uh, East Carolina is still going to be bad. Uh, they were bad last year. They were bad the year before. They're going to be bad again. Uh, it's going to take a while to turn that program around. So I'm going to go with NC State. Obviously, they have a new quarterback, but I'm going to go with the Wolfpack. I'm going to go with NC State as well. Um, I do think East Carolina will be better, but better is a relative term because they were just so, so bad last yes. year. Um, I don't think East Carolina is going to – And if you think about it, 17 is not that yeah, much. Well, 18, but yeah. It's not, it's that, not much. that much. And when you consider how bad East Carolina was last year, like I'm not calling for East Carolina to make a bowl game or anything like that, but I do think they will be better. <laughs> um NC State, I mean, they're breaking a new quarterback. Matthew McKay should be pretty good. Um, they do return some talent on the offensive line, which is important because they lose basically everything else. Um, defensively, they do have some experience returning. 17 points just sounds like too low of a number, just considering NC State as a whole as a program where they are right now compared to East Carolina. Um, I, I take NC State. I think they win this game by 20 to 24 points. I think they cover that spread rather comfortably. All right, the Duke Blue Devils in a neutral site game for some reason, taking on the Alabama Crimson Tide, who are going to be hungry for some revenge, especially, I guess, against an ACC opponent, given their SEC supremacy syndrome. They're giving Duke 34 and a half points. Ricky LeBlue, can Duke cover 34 and a half? To me, that's not even the important question here. I don't know when this game was scheduled, but if you're David Cutcliffe, what the hell are you thinking? <laughs> I mean, come on. You're, you're going to take Bama at a neutral site? And it's this game's in Atlanta, right? Isn't yep. this game in Atlanta? Yeah, yep. I, no, no. Duke has no chance. Duke's going to get run over. Roll Tide. I'm not even a Bama fan. But no, Alabama's going to wipe the floor with with David Cutcliffe's crew. And I love, Dave, I love David Cutcliffe. I think he's a fantastic coach, but he doesn't have a shot. I have one really important question here. And uh, first of all, Alabama is going to cover the spread. So let's end that right there. But the the, the important question here okay, is what's the last go. time that Duke was playing in a primetime game, right? Like it's 3.30, but it's going to be one of the biggest games on TV because the Chick-fil-A kickoff game, right? Like when's the last time they had this kind of TV exposure? It's been a while, like the ACC championship years ago. Like it's been a long time. Um, How about the – didn't they play Johnny Manziel in a bowl Oh, game? God. Cover your eyes, right? They did. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure they were in. The, it was a. Uh, I can't remember what bowl game it was, but it was a pretty big one. Oh, yeah, it? it was the Chick Fil A Bowl. They uh, the championship game before. Okay, all right. Yeah, but that it's been a while, hadn't it? It's been a while since Duke has been ten years almost. Yeah, remember they're still a basketball school, no matter what anyone tells you. All right, Mike's got that. Hundred percent. Bama. I'm going with Duke. Oh. Duke's a great football player. Oh, jeez. All right. Somebody's got to be different. Wait, wait, real quick, real quick. Um, the one thing, and, and Andrew, I brought this up on the radio earlier. Um, the one thing that's that's kind of interesting about Duke is that they have found themselves in some games against big-time opponents. I'm thinking about, like, recent matchups with Clemson where Clemson was a ginormous favorite, right? Huge favorite. 
And Duke has found a way to cover the spread because they sit on the ball. They're able to pick up a first down here and there and sit on it a little bit. So if you're going to make that argument for Duke to cover, that's your that's your angle, right? They're not going to do it against Bama, but that would be your angle. <laughs> so there you go. I'm just giving you some rationale behind it. I don't think it'll happen, but that's your that's your Mike's angle. Mike's basically trying to save your ass is what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, moving on, moving on. Carolina. The University of North Carolina against the University of South Carolina, I believe, at a neutral site. It is. Let me see. Bank of America Stadium. In Charlotte. They're giving the Tar Heels 10 and a half points. Can they hang in there? Number one, shouts out Charlotte. That's my favorite city. I absolutely love that place. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, North Carolina to, to, to get with the spread. Uh, I absolutely despise Will Muschamp and his, his coaching style. I think he's a perennial underachiever. I don't understand why kids go to him. Uh, I'm going to go with North Carolina. The Mac is back, baby. Damn, baby. Got to get brain to the heat, Ricky. <laughs> um, I'm going – so, first of all, I actually already bet this game, and I bet it when South Carolina was a um, nine-point favorite. I picked North Carolina to cover already at nine. It's now ballooned to ten and a half. I like that number even more. Um, look, the last time we saw South Carolina – Granted, it is a bowl game, but they didn't look all that competitive against a UVA team that, you know, had something to play for. Granted, and South Carolina didn't play a lot of their starters. But look, South Carolina is a team that didn't look all that impressive the last time we saw them. So the fact they're, that they're giving 10 and a half against a North Carolina team and Mac Brown that, you know, at the very least is going to be well coached is a little bit surprising to me. Um, I'm not really sure what we're going to get out of South Carolina this year. And to be honest with you, I have no idea what we're going to get out of North Carolina. And maybe we all look like idiots after this game, but until further notice, man, I'm with you. I think Will Muschamp's overrated. I don't like his coaching style either. Um, perennial underachiever. I couldn't have said it better myself. I'm going with North Carolina to cover the spread there. Um, I, I just – not that I'm all that confident in the heels. I just don't really trust South Carolina. Yeah, I'm not – yeah, I mean, I'm not really banking on Carolina being all that good. And I, I was joking when I say the Mac is back, but they, there is kind of a different buzz surrounding that program right now with them in the building. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Now, uh, I agree with you guys, but I do think South Carolina will win. Uh, Syracuse, minus 18. Let's let's rapid fire this one against Liberty. What's the thing? I don't need your explanation. Liberty. <laughs> really? Yeah. And now I kind of want the explanation. Yeah. I, I, well, I mean, look, I think Hugh Freeze is actually going to make the Flames somewhat decent. We all know he's kind of a, a morally bankrupt human being, or at least he was. Uh, hopefully he's gotten a, he's he's found Jesus. Maybe that's where he needs to be is at Liberty. Uh, I know I actually think the Flames are going to be decent. They brought in some decent uh, freshmen that were that were talented. Um, and they've also brought in some transfers. So I think I think Liberty's actually going to be decent. Hugh Freeze, big escort guy. Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm taking I'm taking Syracuse. I think Syracuse wins and covers. I like Tommy DeVito. They're returning a good bit on offense. Um, I actually think Syracuse defense will end up being pretty good this year. Keep an eye on that. That'll be a sneaky storyline, especially if they want to finish second in the Atlantic again. Um, yeah, keep an eye on Syracuse's defense. Um, I, I don't know that it'll matter one way or another in this opener against Liberty, but Overall, for the outlook for Liberty moving forward, Ricky, I agree with you. I think they'll be good under Hugh Freeze. Um, it's just a matter of time. I just don't think that they'll have enough in this opener um, to cover against Syracuse. I agree with Mike, uh, and I agree with the statement that Ricky, that Ricky said. You know, Liberty will get better, but not week one. All right, Florida State, five-point favorites at a neutral site, but not such a neutral site because they're playing Boise State, and they're playing them in Jacksonville, right? So Boise State. Uh, or Florida State gets minus five. Ricky, who you got? Yeah, it would have been nice if this game had been played a few years ago when both of these programs were still good. Uh, I'm going to go with, oh, man, uh, Florida State. Uh, Boise State as an inexperienced quarterback uh, that's playing. I'm going to go with the with the Knowles. I think Boise State has a chance to be one of the better group of five teams, maybe the best group of five team this year. I know everybody loves Central Florida. Um, a lot of people like Cincinnati as well. But I think Boise State has a chance to be one of the best group of five teams in the country this year. Um, I predicted – I called this on the podcast last night um, that I recorded, and I need to stay consistent. I think Boise State wins this game outright. I think they go to Jacksonville. I think they upset Florida State. That's not to say that Florida State isn't going to be improved this year. I do think they'll be a lot better. I think the Kendall Bryles hire at offensive coordinator can only help 
Um, he's not going to have James Blackman hold on to the ball forever and ever and ever behind a really bad offensive line. <laughs> um, I, I think that they'll find ways to get the ball out of his hands quickly. I think the running game will be improved. They'll find a way to move the football. They always do under under Kendall Bryles, whoever he coaches for, right? Um, so I do think Florida State will be better. I'm just not sure it'll be in this opener. I think five is a lot of points to be giving a Boise State team that I think is going to be pretty good. Um, I, I think that um, Florida State overall, I think it's a name brand type game, right, where you're more confident in the brand name of Florida State than you are in Boise State. But I think Boise State's a better football team, so I'm going with Broncos to win this game outright. All righty then. And I agree. Actually, no, wait, Mike said Broncos. Sorry, I zoned out. Uh, I'll take Florida State. I think I'm looking for them to improve this year. Here's a big one. Here's an actual, you know, a, a game that could surprise a lot of people on either side. The University of Virginia travels to Heinz Field in Pittsburgh to take on the reigning Coastal Division champions, the Pittsburgh Panthers. Vegas has UVA minus two and a half. Ricky, what do you think? Uh, I'm going with uh, Pitt. Uh, I think Pitt can definitely, I mean, that's obviously not much of a spread, but I'm going to go with Pitt. I think Pitt will win the game outright. Look, Heinz Field is absolutely sucks to go play at if you're an opposing team. Uh, for some reason, it's loud as hell in there, and there's like 5,000 people because uh, nobody goes to pick games. But uh, I, I think I think UVA is going to be kind of brought down to earth after all the media hype this year uh, coming into the season. I'm going to go with uh, go with the Panthers. Yeah, Pitt's supposed to be the school that has its like proud tradition, but at the same time, they don't get anybody to come to their games. So that's a weird concept, huh? Um, yeah, it is. It's it's very weird. Heinz Field is a house of horrors. We know that as Virginia Tech alums. Um, we know it's a tough place to go play. Virginia Tech's had their fair share of struggles there. Um, with that being said, Virginia's got the best player on the field in Bryce Perkins. I think he has enough in the tank to get this thing done for Virginia and win this football game. That's not to say that he'll be a one-man show the whole season and that'll work for Virginia because I don't think it will. I think they'll have to find consistency in the running game where they lose to Ornelas, maybe some guys at receiver um, to make up for the loss of Zacchaeus outside. So. Um, I think Virginia has enough of the tank to get things done here in game one. Um, maybe that changes if I go into this game and I see Pittsburgh all of a sudden trotting out their automobile American running backs who had no experience and plenty of talent, but they find a way to run up and down a Virginia defense that I think is going to be very good. So I'm going with the Cavaliers until they, they say otherwise. All right. I'll go with UVA as well. Uh, but the, it's really a toss up in my book, but you know, until, I'm riding the hype train on Bryce Perkins until it's proven otherwise. So that's, that's it. Last one, non-Virginia Tech on Monday, September 2nd, a.k.a. Labor Day. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish will travel to Cardinal Stadium in Louisville, Kentucky, where they are 20-and-a-half-point favorites over Louisville. Quick one, Notre Dame or Louisville? Notre Dame. I'm going with Notre Dame, too. Um, and, and real quick, they're, they're a team that's returning a majority of their defense. Um, offensively, they have a starter, Ian Book, who's pretty good. Um, he's underrated nationally, I think, for how efficient he is. Uh, I think Notre Dame has a chance to be very good this year. Um, and I think it starts here Monday night against Louisville. I don't think the Cardinals have much of a chance. I love the Satterfield hire. I don't love their chances on Monday night. All right. I'll go with Notre Dame as well. Um, last one, and this is the big one. Virginia Tech, a four-point favorite over Boston College. I need you to give me whether you got Tech to cover, and if you don't have Tech to cover, do they win the game? To cover, um, I, I, I think that te I think Tech's the better team, and I think they come out winning. I don't think you can win in the ACC consistently when you're one-dimensional like Boston College is. I think Tech will be able to do just enough. Yeah, I think Tech wins and covers on Saturday. Uh, that's not to say that I don't think it'll be competitive. I think Boston College will give Virginia Tech a pretty good shot. And, uh, you know, this is going to be a game where, I mean, it is the opener and you always learn a lot out of the opening game of the year, right? But I think it's even more paramount this year for Virginia Tech to come out and beat this team in Boston College because – Virginia Tech, in order for them to get to where they want to go this year, they need to win these 50-50 games. And you have one here right off the bat. The spread says it itself. It's been at three and a half, four. It's been at five. It's been inside a touchdown all summer. Um, Virginia Tech needs to come out. And if they want to get to where they need to go and where they want to go in the Coastal Division this year, they need to win this game against Boston College. It's so crucial to lay out the rest of the season because, look, if Virginia Tech gets by – Boston College here in the opener. It could be pretty smooth sailing for a while. 
Um, you know, they, they have some, they have a, you know, a couple tough games here end of September, early October, but Virginia Tech, I think this really sets a tone for the entire year if you're able to pick up one in conference here off the bat. And I will make that Virginia Tech cover, Virginia Tech win across the board. The boys come out against an inexperienced Boston College defense and make a statement, and they better because if the, things are going to get real pessimistic real fast if they drop this opening into Boston College. But I have faith in the Hokies. You know, the world might not believe in them, and, but they believe in themselves right now, and it's up to them to go prove it week one. So. Let's see what kind of quarterback Ryan Willis is in year two. Let's see how elite this receiving core actually is. And for now, I'm buying the hype. So Virginia Tech across the board. But that will wrap it up for us. You are listening to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex for Mike McDaniel and Ricky LeBlue. Now, remember, folks, go follow us on Twitter. We're at Hokie Hangover. Pretty simple. Uh, if you like what you're listening to, obviously, you should subscribe and follow us on Twitter. And go to the dude sitting next to you in your cubicle who also went to Virginia Tech and show him the podcast. Spread the word. Spread the love. Spread the podcast. We're new here. We're trying to get the word out. But we will be back next week with a full recap of week one with some, you know, who played well, who didn't play well. And we'll look forward to week two as we discuss whether Virginia Tech will have another letdown against Old Dominion. But for Ricky LeBlue and Mike McDaniel, I am Andrew Alex. Go home. Mm-hmm.